the Surgeon General makes the argument for helping one another. As human beings, we can sustain so much challenge and face down such tough odds when we're together, when we feel like there are people who have our back and we have support. But when you're alone, gosh, even what seem like everyday challenges can feel utterly overwhelming. Before the pandemic, one in five children in America faced a challenge with their mental, emotional, or behavioral health. Since the pandemic began, symptoms of depression and anxiety among young people have doubled worldwide. We all have a role in protecting the mental health of kids, and we can start by making it something it's okay to talk about. On today's program, two youth advocates for mental health, Billy and Kaya, in conversation with one another, talking about what they've experienced and how they've worked to make things better for other young people. Stay with us. You're with the Hear Me Now podcast that comes to you from the Providence Institute for Human Caring. I'm Sean Collins. I'm glad you're listening. Since the pandemic began, there has been increased focus on the mental health of young people across the globe. And we've learned that talking about mental health makes it easier to seek and get help. Today, we wanted to present a model, not in any prescriptive way, but as a way of simply saying, here are two people talking with one another about their own mental health and about the ways they've been able to work at helping others. Billy Henderson is a college student and activist. She's an advocate for mental and behavioral health, and so is Kaya Bates. She's a high school student who's worked at getting people the help that they need. What you're about to hear is Billy and Kaya's conversation getting to know one another, sharing their experiences, talking about the challenges that they face, and how they're finding ways to connect with and help others. Letting you know that there is talk about self-harm and suicidality. If you're struggling, please reach out today. There are people who can listen and can help. Call 988 to reach the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. You'll also find other resources on our website, hearmenowpodcast.org. Thanks again for listening. Now, here Kaya and Billy. Hi, uh, my name is Billy Henderson. Uh, I am 20 years old, uh, currently going to Willamette University in Salem, uh, Oregon. Uh, and God, what else should I say about myself? Um, oh, I'm a politics major. That's a horrible thing to major in. It's like so goddamn stressful. Uh, but yeah, I'm also a part-time activist. So I um, like participate in a lot of protests and events put on by different organizations that are around here. Oh, and my pronouns are she, they. Okay, so I guess my turn. So my name is Kaya Bates. Um, I am 18 years old. I'm a senior in high school. 
um, here at Chiwana, and I um, am a mental health advocate. Um, and I recently got into doing a lot of work with mental health when I was Miss Tri-Cities Outstanding Teen. So I also do pageants, <laughs> which has which has been a really great experience, really fun, very unique too. Um, and I, yeah, so I'm just a high school student. I also teach piano and yeah, mental health advocate. So that's pretty much me. Um, I'm glad to hear that your pageantry experience has been a good one since I don't often hear two terribly good things about pageants and (laughs) modeling and anything like that. Right. Yeah. I I think a lot of people have misconceptions about pageants, Um, especially a lot of people think that they're beauty pageants, but the organization that I'm with, uh, Miss America organization, it's all about service and serving others. So. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. That's cool then. What type of um, stuff have you is done in um, service of others, I guess. Like, what would you say for that question at a pageant? So, um, so throughout my entire year, so you have your, your I guess, reign for a year. Um, and so we each have a social impact initiative, which is something that you, you have that's important to you and you use that to help the community. And so my social impact initiative was staying calm, overcoming mental health issues and stereotypes. So my community service was all about mental health and raising awareness for that. Um, and where I live, where I come from, um, over 70% of, of students um, in my hometown come from low-income families. They don't have the resources to help get mental health help for them. And I recognized that. And I realized that, especially after COVID, because I felt like after COVID, that really sparked a whole new conversation and and kind of raised awareness for mental health um, because everybody was everybody was struggling. Mm-hmm. And so something that a, a few things that I did. Uh, so the main thing that I actually did with mental health throughout my year was make fidget tool kits for, for elementary school students to have, in the, to have in their classrooms. And I called them regulation kits because that's really personal to me because I had uh, that was a healthy coping strategy for me when I was feeling anxious. And so I wanted to share that with with everyone. And so I was able to raise over $23,000. Actually, I think 2000 or 3000 of which was donated from Providence health um, towards my initiative. And so I was able to make over 600 regulation kits to every single elementary school in the district. Wow. That's really amazing. (laughs) I know I definitely, when I was in elementary school, I would have wished to have one of those kits instead of developing like a habit of skin picking or something. Right. Right. And and I feel like that needs to be addressed in schools because school, we are at school majority of the time. And so I feel like mental health awareness and normalizing that conversation, especially at a young age, I think that is super important. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, I actually had the opportunity. um, I think it's like, three or four years ago, um, I had the opportunity to be a part of um, this documentary that talks about youth mental illness called Hiding in Plain Sight. Um, And that actually just premiered this year. Um, So it's very freshly out. You can find it on Amazon Prime, PBS. It'll be going to Netflix soon. 
that was a really, really cool opportunity because um, it was the first time that I'd really like told my story in such a big way, I guess, um, that would be available to see for the entire country. And one of the really fascinating things now that they are working on with this documentary is a four-hour, two-part documentary, and it's kind of sliced up into these um, like little 30-minute vignettes that talk about uh, different aspects of mental illness. And now um, they're currently working on taking these uh, little vignettes and molding them into a curriculum about mental health that would then be put into uh, public schools all over the country. So they'll be able to show this and um, they're trying to at least have it be able to be shown in, um, uh, in like middle schools and high schools and also at the college level for a lot of the like much more heavy hitting stuff. But I just think that that's, a, that's really cool because I never learned about anything involving mental illness as a kid in a young age. Like even in high school, um, my learning about mental illness just came from my own lived experience with my own mental health issues. Um, so I'm really, really excited that they're actually able to now pursue that and that it's something that at least from what we've seen from most public schools, is that it's being widely accepted. Right, yeah. No, I've definitely seen that. And I feel the same way when I was in elementary school, middle school, um, and I'm still in high school. Um, it's it's become a lot better, especially the past couple of years. Um, and I feel like that's a great step towards, you know, destigmatizing the topic of mental health and help normalize that conversation because I – because – there's so many people out there suffering with a mental health condition. And I just, I think I'm so passionate about that subject, especially with sharing your story. So I guess I just have a question for you. So what made you want to share your story or what, what motivated you? Mm. Yeah. Um, honestly, it was really just kind of the thought that someone might get help or gain some insight through my story um because it's something that like since it since it is my life and my own lived experience um i don't often think about my story in such an introspective way i guess um and so when i heard about the opportunity to um tell my story in this very public fashion i just figured that like, if there's any chance that my experience and my story and everything that I've been through in telling that I may be able to help someone else who might be going through something similar, then that's all I need. Like, even if it, out of the, like, millions of people that we've had now see this documentary, there's only two people that I help through my story, then that's okay with me. I really like that, yeah. I, I agree. Yep. Just helping other people. Yeah. I kind of saw it in the way um, and I just had a, I just hosted in a screening of the documentary on my uh, college campus recently. Um, and the analogy that I used there for where I told it was kind of like, um, you know, like, you know, when you're in class and the teacher asks a question to the whole class 
and there's no one who is raising their hand. There's no one who wants to be the first one to answer. Um, that's kind of how I saw it, I guess. Like if I'm able to sort of just give my answer and raise my hand and that can help to start a conversation going, then it's worth it. No, I actually really like that analogy. I hadn't really thought of it like that. Um, and, and I've definitely seen that in my own life because I, I was one of those kids too. I, I never felt like I could share about my mental health struggles because I, I constantly felt ashamed because nobody ever talked about it. So I just thought it was something that you had to keep to yourself. Um, mm. But I've seen, especially recently, that now that I've shared my story um, through my mental health uh, journey, it's just been so amazing to see all the other people that are willing to speak up after you after you do it first right and it's just it's been so cool to to see people being willing to to be vulnerable and and share share that vulnerable side of themselves um mm. because i know that it's not a comfortable thing i mean it's never going to be a comfortable thing because it's something super personal to you but but i've seen the benefits from it and it's been such an amazing experience for me especially um with with sharing with a bunch of, of elementary school kids because 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 I feel like they needed an example like that I I wanted an example when I was younger of someone you know that was a teenager that that was sharing about something that was important to them and something that that a lot of people struggle with and so that's been a very rewarding experience for me and I mean at that young age like people don't often think about that young age. It's like, oh, you can't have a mental illness. You're a child. Exactly. Like, you know, what do you know? What have you been through? Um, and that's sort of like, uh, how do I phrase it? That sort of narrative, I feel like, gets carried um, when it's a conversation of younger people and mental illness. But like in the documentary, like we had, we had kids who were like 10, 11 years old who were talking about their experience with suicidality, with depression, um, with going to inpatient treatment. Um, and so age is, I don't see age as a factor when it comes to mental illness. Like anyone can be having these issues and we often see the onset of them at those very young ages. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, in my personal experience, um, I was diagnosed with selective mutism when I was two. Um, so yeah, that, that's really personal to me. Um, so yeah, and I agree. I don't feel like there is a certain age where you can develop, you know, um, a mental, a mental health condition. It's, it's something that people just have that are just born mm. with. And, and in my case, yes, that was, that was my case. Absolutely. Is there um, uh, is there anything else that you're uh, working on pursuing in your mental health advocacy goals? Yes. Um. So I yes. So I did um a bunch of work. Yes, with my regulation kits, I was able to to be on I think nine news channels, including Morning in America. God damn. <laughs> to share. God damn. Okay, I see you. <laughs> Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, but it, it's been, it was so cool being able to share my story, uh, to many people across the nation. But, uh, the work that I'm focusing on right now is, is making mental health modules, um, 
to make curriculum to share in schools and and I'm trying to make a mental health club at my school right now and and then once we pair up I want to work with um I'm part of the National Student Advisory Council on work to be well so I'm, I'm nice <laughs> so I want I want to be um I want to align my my school and I want to make my school a work to be well school. And so we can we can train other other schools to, um, you know, raise mental health advocacy. So that's one thing that I that I want to do. And another thing that I that I've been really interested in pursuing is starting youth coalitions in my in my hometown. So that's Mm. something that I've been working on. Billy and Kaya. Can I ask you to kind of explain what Work to Be Well is for people who are listening who don't know? Oh, yes. Yes. I'm going to let Kaya do that. (laughs) It's been been like four or five years since I was in Work to Be Well. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I can totally explain. So Work to Be Well is a nonprofit organization through Providence Health. Um, It's all about raising mental health advocacy. um, And they have... A social media page on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and they do a lot of things from, yeah, pairing up with schools to making curriculum. And they have a, an awesome website filled with a lot of resources. And they yeah. also make podcasts too. And so, yeah, talk to be well. Yes, I've been on one. So it was a really cool. Hey, experience. gang, gang. I know. But um, yeah, so it, it's, it's such an amazing such an amazing organization and I'm very happy to be a part of it. I love it when I can get other organizations I've talked to, to partner with work to be well, because they really do have like so many amazing tools and resources available um, for free for anyone to access. Um, And yet they, I feel like they don't get in as much credit as they deserve. I agree. So I, I just, sorry, I hate to change the subject, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I felt like I should address this. So um, I, I've seen a lot, especially in my community, there's such a negative stigma around getting medication for your mental health. And, mm. and I'm very passionate about the subject. I've been taking medication for four or five years. Uh, why, why do you think there's such a negative stigma around that? And what would you say to a teenager who's, who thinks that it isn't for them? Mm. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of the negative stigma that I see surrounding medication for mental health is, um, like, I guess one thing would be, um, um, the, um, mistrust, um, between the patient and the provider, um, there's mistrust about like what the medication is, what does it do, um, like how is it going to affect me, will this make me different, um, and I see a lot of that, um, and I especially see a lot of this mistrust um, among BIPOC communities who have uh, historically been mistreated by medical institutions, um, And so there's a lot of, I feel like there is a lot of animosity um, between patient and provider. And I think also because um, there's so many uh, people and cultures who don't really um, 
they don't really address mental health. They don't want to see it as like a um, serious problem. And so like typically what most people think of, like if they go to a doctor and get a medication, it's to like fight an infection, fight a disease, uh, fight um, like pain or like this uh, physical tangible thing. Um, whereas with mental health, it's not physically tangible um and so i think some people can um just see mental health as not that big of an issue because like you know it's not like you have an infection or disease um and for other people i think it's also um i think it could be that getting medicated would essentially mean admitting that they have a problem that they need medication for um and so for what I tell young people um, who are like having doubts about whether or not they um, should go on medication is that it's medication is always um, weird because it works for some people and it doesn't work for others. Like I've been on just about every single type of antidepressant that there is, like SSRI, SNRI, tricyclic, um, and none of them had helped me before. Um, but then when I started taking medication to uh, specifically target the anxiety um, portion, that helped a lot, and I was able to actually be functional and stable for a long time. Um, and so, while yes, medication is hit or miss, it's um, rarely ever is it something that, you know, you're going to take one pill and then it's, you're done, it's gone. Um, no, it's a trial and error process. Um, like, I'm a, I'm a trans woman, and it was the same thing with my hormones. There's a trial and error process of, we're going to try... We're going to see if this works, and if it doesn't, we'll adjust it a little, and if not, we'll try something else. And you just go on like that until you find out what works for you. Um, and so there may even be a lot of cases where someone doesn't, like they may function better without medication than on medication, uh, but that doesn't mean that someone else will have the same experience. So talk to your doctor, please. If you, if you think you need medication, talk to your doctor. It's not something you want to put off. It just causes more problems for future you to be mad at past you for. Exactly. No, I really liked that, especially with the hit or miss type of thing, because yes, there it's different for everybody. Um, and I've seen in my own life, I just, I see a lot of people feeling ashamed and guilty for needing to take medication for their mental health. Um, I feel like a lot of people feel the need to hide it. And I, I think people think that it's a sign of weakness, which mm. is totally a misconception because because getting help for your mental health is just as important as physical health. And just like what you said, yeah. because it's it's not a tangible thing. It's something that's an invisible struggle. And so that's why a lot of people don't don't think that they one need it or or you know that they they can function better with it. Um but I, I've seen 
how much of a difference it's made in my own life. It's made such a positive impact. Um, it's worked for me. I've, I've taken um, antidepressants, yes, and anxiety medication. Um, and I, I do believe that medication can be life-saving and in, in, in some cases, not all cases, an essential part of treatment for, for a mental health condition. Mm. The thing that's most important, and that's not about medication, it's about getting the treatment that you need. Yeah, exactly. And like you mentioned, it's about getting the treatment that you need. So like, even if you do need medication, it's oftentimes the case where the medication isn't enough. Like you can't just be medicated and then expect all of your problems to go away. Certainly, you know, every solution to everything. No, you need, you need therapy, you need counseling, um, and you need that support system in place. Because the the way I see medication is that it's um it's essentially it's a tool like it's a tool to help get you to a place where you are stable enough to say be in therapy and do counseling and talk about these issues it's not something that can just make everything magically feel better and I like the point you mentioned of like people will oftentimes like see themselves as weak for needing medication like you wouldn't you wouldn't go up to someone who is like having chemotherapy or dialysis and call them weak because like haha you got messed up kidneys like no you don't no one would think that that's okay and it's the same thing with mental illness like you're not going to walk up to someone who needs medication for their depression say, oh, you weak, you a pussy. Like, no. Yeah, you're right. Nobody w- would go up to somebody who's struggling with cancer, or, you know, some sort of disease and, and call them weak because, because it, it is a tangible thing and, and, you can, and you can see it. That's why I think there is such just, uh, there's just a lot of negative stereotypes with that because mm. Because a lot of people you can't see and a lot of people are good at hiding what they're struggling with. And so yeah. I, I think that's, that's definitely why. That's Kaya Bates talking with Billy Henderson. We're listening to their conversation today as we explore ways to support the mental health of young people. You'll find a list of resources on our website, hearmenowpodcast.org. If you're struggling, please call the Suicide in Crisis Lifeline at 988. Someone's available now to talk with you. Now, back to Billy and Kaya's conversation. Now, you had mentioned this earlier, how um, the conversation regarding uh, mental health and mental illness has been improving, um, especially among younger generations. And that's something that I have seen, too, like in my, uh, like throughout high school, um, and like my middle school careers, um, I, I don't remember anyone ever talking to us about mental illness. I think we had one little tiny conversation about it in middle school where, where we were like, this is depression, this is anxiety. And they left it at that. Um, but now, um, I am like happy to see, like when I'm scrolling on my Instagram page or TikTok or whatever, um, and I see a lot of these posts that are about mental health awareness and talking about like, I see a lot of posts about like ADHD awareness, um, borderline personality disorder, uh, depression, suicidality. Um, 
And it's just these posts that like spread awareness about it. But also um, the part that I really appreciate is that they talk about the ugly shit that's involved with it. Because if you're going to be talking about mental illness, you can't just leave out all of the dirty, grimy details that come with it. You can't talk about anorexia without also talking about the hunger pains and the not being able to poop for a week and fainting anytime you get up. You can't talk about drug addiction um, without the manic fiending um, for getting your next hit, without talking about the shit that you would do in order to be able to afford that next hit. Um, like These are all details that are so important in the experience of people who suffer from these um, mental illnesses, and yet it's not often talked about. It's like there's a like sort of dirty taboo feeling that comes with discussing these aspects. Um, and I do believe that a lot of that conversation um, has happened because of COVID, like you mentioned. Um, I think when COVID started, I was in my senior year of high school. It was like, it happened literally my second semester, just halfway through and everything got turned to shit. Um, and that's where we saw a lot more um, people discussing about mental illness because now there's, you're at home all day. You're in quarantine. You're not able to like go outside or socialize. And so you're just left with your thoughts all day. Um, and I think also um, we see this very tangible um um, this very tangible statistics about uh, increasing mental health issues among younger generations, because just think about how much has happened since COVID started. Like we we're living in a pandemic. We have um, like top scientists in the world yelling every day about how climate change is going to destroy us in the next like twenty years. Um, You've seen all of these protests around um, police brutality, all of these shootings. Um, God, all of these shootings. Like, it's a very terrifying world to live in right now for younger generations because we still have our whole lives ahead of us. And if everything feels like it's this shitty right now, just think about, like, everything else that could happen in our lives. Exactly. Yeah. And just like what you said, I mean, it, it is a lot more prevalent these days, especially with COVID. Um, and yeah, it has become a more, more common conversation, especially because I feel like during COVID, there was a lot of things that became more common, especially about raising awareness for a bunch of topics. And I, I'm glad that mental health was one of them. Um, but um, I, I guess I just wanted to ask, uh, what what is your mental health journey like what what made you who you are today oh god let's see there's so much there's right? i feel like i've lived like three lifetimes already I know. Uh, yeah. That way. yeah it's um uh, let's see well i like i've always known i was trans since 
a young age, um, but I never really had an opportunity to explore it, I guess, when I was a kid, because I lived in um, Bend, Oregon, which is very, like, hick town Republican <laughs> area. Yeah. Like, you know, that 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 type of beat. Um, and so when I finally uh, moved to Portland, um, I finally got the opportunity to explore that aspect of myself more. Um, I got to start hormone replacement therapy and like everything was going good. Um, but then partway through my hormone replacement therapy, uh, they kind of botched it, I guess. Um, cause they had me on this, uh, on this, uh, testosterone blocker called Lupron. Um, and I started that when I was like, 15 I want to say 15 yeah 15 um and I um I was on that and I was supposed to start estrogen at the same time but there was a nurse at OHSU which is where I was getting my treatment at the time there was a nurse there who told us that we should wait a month or two uh before actually pursuing um uh, the estrogen in order to give the Lupron time to activate. Uh, that was a lie, and that was a big mistake, uh, because for about a month and a half after that, I had zero hormones in my body. There's no estrogen, there's no testosterone, and that's a whole month and a half of my life that I just don't remember at all, because I was so out of it and unmotivated and like my mom told me, I basically, I was like a robot. I would just sort of, I'd just lay in bed all day and do nothing. Um, and that's where we started to see um, a lot of my, um, like my smaller uh, mental health disorders, I guess, like my anxiety and my depression that I had since I was a kid. That's where we started to see a lot of that um begin to really grow and manifest. Um, and so it wasn't long after that that I got diagnosed uh, with um, major depressive disorder um, and generalized anxiety disorder. And then soon after that, I was diagnosed with anorexia. Um, and that's something that I had to uh, actually go to um, a treatment facility for. I was in a partial hospitalization program that was offered by Providence. Um, and my first time in, I was there for like three months. My second time, I was there for a month and a half. Um, and soon after that, I had my um, first like big suicide attempt, I guess, where I tried to overdose on um, my antidepressants I've been collecting up. And uh, that was, that was a whole thing. I ended up going to a psych ward um, for a bit for that. Um, but luckily, like, through um, therapy and finally finding the medication that works for me, I managed to get my stuff under control for the most part. Um, but 
it wasn't long um, after being in the psych ward that I actually started to um, develop a pretty big um, drug addiction problem. I was abusing um, pills mainly like Xanax um, and uh, uh, opioids um, and just really just basically doing anything that I could get my hands on to get high. Um, And that I actually... um, actually ended up being like a big problem until I kind of had my um it's my oh shit moment is how I phrase it um which was a bit of a couple collections of moments um it was uh I one night when I went into a drug-induced psychosis after combining Xanax and Adderall um and I really scared a lot like I scared my whole family um, because I was being so erratic and delusional. Um, and then I also had what I call the ambient incidents, where there was one weekend um, I had taken my uh, dose of Ambien. My doctor just upped it um, to help my sleep. Uh, and after taking that dose, I ended up going on a late-night drive Um, And I don't remember the drive itself whatsoever. All I remember is getting pulled over by the police in Lake Oswego and them um, telling me that I had driven through a construction site and nearly hit a construction worker. And then the weekend right after that, I accidentally overdosed on my Ambien when I again took my usual dose um it didn't work so I took a second one and then I blacked out and woke up in a hospital with them um telling me that I have a blood alcohol count of uh 0.14 um and we went back home later that day come to find out I had actually taken around half of my ambient script that night as well um so I was very lucky to not have died that time because it it was very it was a very dangerous situation I guess um and so after that um I kind of started to focus more on actually um on actually addressing my mental health issues on actually getting help for them um and trying to work to better myself uh and this would then be around the time when I'm starting college. Um, and for a bit there, I was going really good. Um, and then there was a uh, last year where um, and I had already kind of relapsed on a couple substances by this point. Uh, but none of the relapse lasted any longer than like uh, two months or three months, I'd say. But there was um, last year, last spring semester, uh, which would actually be like this February of this year, uh, where I was at a protest in uh, downtown Portland. Um, this was a march. Uh, there was like a Justice for Patrick Kimmins march. And 
I was at this protest. Whenever I go to them, I go as a field medic um, to just assist other medics if anything happens. And there was a shooting. Someone had decided to come to the protest um, with a gun and uh, fire into our security team. And um, so I rushed over to the scene to help people out, come to find like, uh, I want to say six bodies on the ground. Um, so I ran to the closest one that there was to me. Um, and long story short, the person that I was helping ended up being declared dead on the scene by paramedics. And so that kind of just threw in PTSD to my whole mental illness, um, this mental illness cocktail that I have going on. Um, and it's something that I'm still working on um, processing today. Because um, like, one of the things that's often not talked about with ADHD is um, A, our incredible ability to mask like, I'm very good at acting like I am a stable and healthy person. And also um, our ability to compartmentalize. Because I was seeing a therapist at the time when this happened, who's an amazing therapist. Like, she's she's been um, so very helpful and, like, matches my way of seeing myself and my mental illness exactly. Uh, but I was seeing her and, um, she was helping me to process this traumatic event and I kind of just compartmentalized it to the point where I had actually convinced myself that I processed all of that stuff and that like I was, I was okay now. I still had like PTSD, but I was managing it, um, and now this year, um, due to a couple things that have come up, um, like since there are new stresses being added, um, that kind of like, if you're just compartmentalizing and bottling up all of your emotions and trauma and shit to the, and never releasing any of it, then it can often happen where when one new stressor is added, it doesn't even have to be a big one. It's just a new stressor that's added into the bottle. It can cause it to burst. And that's kind of been what I'm going through now, where that bottle has burst and all of those emotions and stress and trauma over everything that happened in February is now rushing back out for me to deal with. Mm -hmm. That's where I am to this point, at least. Well, I applaud you for being able to talk about it in such an amazing way. I mean, I am just listening to that just makes me applaud you because I just, you are so strong. You really are. And um, I, I I definitely have not been through as much as you you have I mean as far as 
As okay, I do just gotta say, I do not, I don't like to compare right like, exactly yeah mental health stories because like you know one everyone's story is different and it's like proportional to exactly. that person. Um, and so I never, I never like um, for people to say that they haven't been through as much as I have because who knows? We all process shit in a different way. Exactly. Yes. No. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, um, but yeah, I, I think what, I mean, I guess hearing, hearing your story and hearing your journey, what, what is one thing that you would tell your younger self now, now that you've been through it? I'd want to tell my younger self that it's going to be okay. As at least I know when I was a young kid, there was so many things that I was going through um, where I felt like this is like a world-ending scenario. This was the worst case. It's horrible. I'm going to die because of this. But I survived. And I keep on surviving despite what new stuff gets added into that. So, yeah, I just want to tell my younger self to be okay and to hang in there and to see how amazing and hot we are today Mm -hmm. exactly exactly i like that i like that a lot yeah well why don't you tell me your mental health story okay um so um when i was younger i i had suffered with selective mutism for seven years and um and for for the, those of you who don't know what selective mutism is, it's a severe anxiety disorder in which a person cannot speak in certain social situations. And in my case, I would not speak to anybody outside of my my immediate family. I It took me two years to talk to my preschool teacher. It took me eight months to talk to my kindergarten teacher. And, and even just saying hi, just a simple thing as that, was so hard for me. And I didn't understand why it was so hard for me and so easy for everybody else. Um, and it, I mean, at least that's what it seemed to me. Um, and I, I found myself constantly just being ashamed. I, I didn't like making eye contact with people. It made me nervous. I, I remember just constantly feeling anxiety, but I, I never was able to express myself. I never... I never was able to explain how I was feeling because I was just so anxious that I I couldn't speak. Um, And it was really hard for me, very, very hard for me, especially because, um, because I just, I felt so alone and I felt like nobody knew how I was feeling because, because back then, I mean, even, even 10 years ago, I mean, not a lot of people talked about mental health and especially in elementary school. I mean, I think I just had lessons about like empathy and being nice to other people. <laughs> I think that was yeah. the closest we got to, to yeah. discussions. But, um, um, and so I, I just, I thought that I was different from everybody else because that was never any, that was never discussed in, in my environment. And so, um, and so I, I had gone to years and years of therapy, um, and it was hard for me to participate in class, you know, and, um, I also, I also struggle, still struggle, um, but I have struggled with trichotillomania, uh, which is a hair pulling disorder because of high, 
um, high levels of anxiety. Um, and, and that was really hard for me too. That also created more anxiety because Mm -hmm. I often, I would go to school with a bald spot on my head and, and that did not, not help my selective mutism at all because it it just made me shut down even more. Um, and there's just a lot of, a lot of years of me, of me doing my hair a certain way to, to hide things. And, and people Mm -hmm. would ask me if I, if I had cancer, um, a lot, a lot of those type of questions. And it was not something mm-hmm. I felt comfortable talking about. And it's still something that's, that's pretty personal to me as uh, because I, I still struggle with it. Um, just all of that, just feeling a bunch of anxiety. So, so my mental health journey is a, a bunch about anxiety, but um, I mean, I, I've now grown and learned, I wouldn't say grown. I, I, I would say I've learned how to cope. I've learned how to embrace my collective mutism. I've learned how to, how to cope with social anxiety um, and severe forms of social anxiety. Um, and it's, that's why I, sharing my personal story has been so important to me, especially because I, I was wanting someone like, like me who I could relate to. And I, I felt like I couldn't relate to anybody. And that's, that's why I'm so passionate about this, this topic. Um, I actually had one experience. So I, I did a lot of anxiety presentations when I was Miss Tri-Cities Outstanding Teen um, about, about anxiety and how to use my regulation kits. And I was in the kindergarten classroom. And the teacher had told me, she, she had came up to me before my presentation. And I remember she told me, she said, there's a little girl in there um, that has selective mutism. And it turns out her name was actually Kaya, just like me. And she was actually half Korean, just like me. Oh my God. I thought that was just the coolest experience because I talked about- I think about you my- talked to yourself. I think right? you met your younger self. Exactly. I know. <laughs> and it was just, it was like, it was a, whoa, just absolutely mind blowing because I I knew that 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 was something that, that has leaded me to this moment, that moment. Um, because because she she was able to to hear from someone with the exact same name as her was someone who looks a lot like her about something that she struggles with too and she took and the teacher had told me before she's most likely not going to talk to you because she suffers with selective mutism and I and I said of course I completely understand um and I talked about my my story and how I often feel anxious in the classroom and it, it was like looking through a mirror, like turning back time or something. But um, after my presentation, she actually came up to me. She gave me a hug and she started talking to me. And I know how hard that must have been for her because I, I know from personal experience that right, it's difficult. Yeah. Um, and so that was just probably the most touching and one of the most important experiences that I've had, especially with being a mental health advocate, because it was truly like looking through a mirror. Wow. I, that is such an, um, that is such an inspiring story um, for being a mental health advocate, because it's not often that you have that experience of literally meeting your younger self exactly right being being able to be the one who inspires them um to overcome that fear and who like 
tells them that they are not alone. Exactly. Like that is that is such an amazing story. And also I do gotta say you are so very eloquent with the way you talk about your experience. Like you talk about it so just elegantly and refined <laughs> and with you. so much confidence behind it. Yeah, thank you. I, I definitely remember, I mean, it took me, I mean, what is it now? I mean, it's a year and a half of, of talking about my mental health story, but I remember at the beginning, um, be, because something that you do when you're part, when you try out or run, I guess, to be part of uh, the Miss America organization and to win a title, you have to do an interview with the judges um, and then you talk a lot about your social impact and mine, of course, was about mental health. And that was last ooh, July. So it was it was over a year ago now. But um, I remember that was when I had just started talking about my mental health story. So it did. It took me years and years to talk about it. But um, I remember they they asked me about it, and it was in front of five adults, and so little little me would have I mean freaked out because <laughs> I couldn't even talk to one adult alone, let alone five, um, uh, and especially about my not about mental health. I would never be able to do that, um, you know, even four years ago. But um, and I remember, and that that's why I'm so passionate about sharing your story and and starting out because it's never going to be a comfortable thing, like I said earlier. Mm-hmm. And I remember I did. I was I was crying <laughs> when I was talking about it because it wasn't really comfortable for me. But and but that's but thank you. That's actually a really huge compliment to hear that I that I can speak it with such confidence because that's not something that I was able to do even a year ago. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It took me. I, I think around like two years before I really got comfortable telling my story to the point where I could tell it so easily. Yes. Like, yes. Even even when I was interviewed um, for the documentary, um, the way that I told my story back then was with just so much anxiety and overthinking and like I, I hate listening to myself talk like that many years ago because I'm just like God, God damn! I could, I could have told this so much better now. <laughs> right? Oh, I feel the same way. <laughs> well, uh, as someone who's been listening to people tell stories for more than fifty years, um, I don't think I've ever listened to two people your age be as eloquent as the two of you have been. I mean, it's really, really impressive and it's really helpful for others to hear it. Talk about destigmatizing something that a lot of us live through and it's part of our makeup and our personality and it's what makes us wonderful in a lot of ways and it makes us um, human in every other way. And I'm, I'm really grateful for the two of you Spending the time with one another (laughs) and and telling their telling these stories. Yeah, I I definitely I really liked what you said, how it's how it's part of us. And it's and it was what makes our makeup, because I looking back at all my trials regarding mental health. I couldn't I can't help but feel grateful for the experiences I've had um, because um, not only has it helped me connect with others, but it's also helped me become more confident in myself. 
Um, and it's all, and it's allowed me to, to be able to, to have that new person that have that to have that perspective and to, to be able to help others with their mental health. And, um, I, I'm grateful for the experiences that I've had and, and, um, now I can look back at my experiences with fondness and but not, mm. obviously not at the time I wasn't too fond of what yeah. I was going through, but, <laughs> but I cannot look at it with, with, um, a sense of, pride because I was I was able to go through that I mean I I went through that and now I'm able to talk about it and I'm able to help others and so that I'm honestly grateful for for mental health um and and grateful for the the experiences that I've I've gone through Mm, yeah I wouldn't be who I am today if I didn't go through what I went through as shitty and traumatic and horrible as it was um I still like if I could live my life again I wouldn't change anything that's Billy Henderson college student and youth mental health advocate Kaya Bates is a high school student and advocate for young people's mental health our sincere thanks to them both You'll find a list of resources on our website, hearmenowpodcast.org. If you're struggling, please call the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. Someone's available now to talk with you. And you'll find a list of vital resources on our website, hearmenowpodcast.org. The Hear Me Now podcast is a production of the Providence Institute for Human Caring. The program is produced by Melody Fawcett and Scott Acord. We have research help from medical librarians Catherine Gibbs, Seema Bakta, Amanda Schwartz, and Heather Martin. Our theme music was written by Roger Neal. The executive producer is Michael Drummond. I'm Sean Collins. Thanks for listening. Be well. <laughs>